Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Did a local salesman really encounter an alien on a road near Parkersburg, West Virginia in November 1966? What did the man's family think of his claims of ongoing contract with, contact with extraterrestrial beings, especially when they reportedly visited the family home? What did it all have to do with the broader paranormal events taking place in the Ohio Valley at that time? Hey there, and welcome to the 220th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and opening those uh, those opening questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. But before we begin, it's time for a weekly paranormal contest. Oh, what fun! So our question from two weeks ago, since it's last been, time we did yeah. a live show, yeah. yes. So was uh, who was the oldest person ever to claim to be abducted by aliens? Well, the answer was Albert Bertu, reportedly abducted in 1983 at 77 years of age in broad daylight while fishing in a canal near Aldershot, England. Well, nobody got that right, probably because it made it sound like who's the oldest person in, like, like how how long ago was the oldest person? Who's the mm-hmm. oldest alien ever to abduct it? No, okay. no, I mean, like... Like, how old were they? Like, hundreds of years old? Like, how old were the reports, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's what they thought. I don't know. Well, so nobody got the answer. Yeah, so nobody got that right. And uh, so let's try this again with this week's question. And in what American town is a famous ghost train supposedly heard every August 27th? Okay, so if you get that right, win an autographed copy of my dad's most famous book, Footsteps in the Attic, with... Uh, Almost said God's ghost and human destiny. So uh, call us locally. Way. Yeah, I know. Call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. So if nobody gets it before the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at BennettBehindTheParanormal.com. Um, oh yeah, it actually is working now. So if you don't, if you haven't heard a reply, that's probably because it it wasn't working for three years. Oh yes, yeah, okay, that's it, that's it. So, but we're we're making progress. Tanya Durenberger Bowman is the daughter of Woodrow W. Durenberger, a man whom UFO lore says encountered the famous or infamous alien Indrid Cold on a West Virginia highway in 1966. Tanya lives in the Parkersburg area of West Virginia even today, uh, and those events occurred nearby, and she's very willing to share the story of her, from her perspective. Married and the mother of five, Tanya is CEO of Bowman Publicity. She holds a bachelor's degree in business and is an avid football fan. While Tanya herself suffers from multiple sclerosis, she is a dedicated advocate for MS research and, and many other very worthy causes. Uh, she chairs her state government, state's government relations committee for the National MS Society and represents West Virginia in doing federal advocacy work in Washington, D.C. each March and much more. Tonight, though, she's going to talk about the strange incidents of her father and Indrid Cold. Well, uh, Tanya Durenberger, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal, or welcome to Behind the Paranormal, actually. Uh, do we have Tanya there? Yeah, we, yeah, we do. Okay. Button up there. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Very good. Tanya, are, they, are you with us? Uh, phone one. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're um, getting used to some um, buttons here. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll try and um, I get well while we're waiting for our connection here. 
Essentially, uh, the, the context of this is especially interesting. Uh, 1966 in the Ohio Valley was the beginning of a very, very interesting time. Oh, we got her? Okay. All right. Ben, do you want to go help him? All right. Yeah, Ben's going to jump in here. Our producer's a fabulous guy, but he's a little bit, little bit new here, and I wouldn't know how to push these buttons either. Anyway, uh, in 1966 in the Ohio Valley, uh, the Mothman incident, strange name, but the Mothman incidents were beginning. And this was the basis of the uh, O2 film, The Mothman Prophecy, starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney. And this uh, occurred in the entire area of the Ohio Valley, particularly uh, Parkersburg and Point Pleasant. And what happened was that a very strange creature by the, the press dubbed Mothman, it seemed to be a large, gray, very frightening entity with red eyes, was seen by a number of people. Have we got time? Um, okay. All right. Uh, Tanya, are you with us? Yes. Oh, very good. Okay. Beginning to think we're like CBS here. We can't see it. I was just beginning beginning to explain uh, some of the the Mothman incidents, but we'll start again with you. And I want to thank you first of all for uh, for joining us. I understand you are uh, hospitalized at the moment. Yes, I am. I had uh, two strokes a week ago. Oh, good heavens! Oof. Well, we're so sorry. We you know we're um, we just um, went through a, f- a funeral in the family, so we're hoping that maybe this will be a little bit uh, mutually therapeutic for us to talk tonight. Well, yeah. Tanya, um, uh, Ben had welcomed you to the show, and uh, Ben was going to start our questioning uh, with the um, the story that you have to tell us. Yeah, so um, what happened to your father the night of November 2nd, 1966? Well, he was stopped by a large craft, and I'm not going to call it a UFO or a spaceship. Dad never really did. Um, and a... He was driving home. It was a rainy night. He was driving home from um, Marietta, Ohio, from a business call. He, uh, At that time, he sold sewing machines and stereos, and he also repaired them. And he was driving home down I-77, and just before the Route 47 exit, he was stopped by a large craft, and a gentleman got out. The craft stopped actually in the middle of the road and, um, you know, in the, like, the median. And he, a gentleman got out and started communicating with him telepathically. Okay. What what did this man look like? Um, Dad always described him just as the man that I had later on met um, as kind of, dark-skinned, almost Hispanic-looking. Um, he was tall. He was probably, oh, he wasn't quite as tall as my father, and um, rather slim with um, slicked-back, dark hair. Okay. Okay, so how did you first hear about it? Did your father just start talking to you about it one day, or what? Did you hear about it that night, or what happened? No, I didn't hear about it that night. Um, that night when my father came home, finally came home to the farmhouse that we were renting in Mineral Wells, West Virginia, he was very shaped and uh, white as a sheet. I mean, I and I had never seen my father that way. My brother and I were in the living room watching TV, and he, my mother was in the kitchen, and he went into the kitchen, and next thing I know, my mom comes in and tells my brother, 
um, she just said, she said, Greg, you take care of your sister, stay in here and watch TV. Dad and I have to talk. And um, that was the last I had heard about it that night. And Dad always tucked us in at night. And that night, Dad did not tuck us in. So we knew something was up. Okay. Well, the thing that strikes me, Tanya, about um, the I-77, and we've been to Parkersburg uh, a few years ago, and is th- this is a not a country road. It's a major interstate highway. would have been relatively new in 1966. Uh, were, weren't there other people going by who might have seen this? Um, actually, there were, and I have, um, well, of course, not with me, but at home, um, other eyewitness reports of people who, who saw the same thing. I see. And who, saw, okay. and who saw this man talking to my father mm-hmm. on the side of the road. Really? Okay. Do we have a caller? Oh. Oh. No, we don't. Okay, we don't. I'm just... The contest. Oh, the contest. Okay. Well, we can... Um, yeah, Ben, uh, check that out while we continue to talk here with Tanya. Now, Tanya, according to what we've heard, that this Indrid Cold... Uh, turned up not only on I-77, but he also turned up in your backyard a few days later with 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 an alien friend named Carl Ardo. Is is that correct? Yes. Um, but the neat thing about it is, is that the way they were dressed, and I don't know how they got there because there was no spacecraft in my yard or even near my home that I noticed. Um, the the neat thing that I think, well, I think it's a neat thing now is that at that time, after my father had reported it, the very next day and had gone on local TV and had spoken about it on TV, um, there were all kinds of people around our home, and nobody noticed, even noticed that they were there. Wow. All right. Now, how did your father get on TV with this? How did the press find out? My father went to the police. And, of course, from there, it, it went to uh, the local TV station from yeah. the police report. Having and been a my- um, and I was, having been a reporter myself for many years, uh, I can testify that uh, your father certainly wasn't necessarily seeking publicity. What One of the first things a newspaper reporter will do uh, during the day is, is to go very early in the morning to the police station and look at the so-called police blot or all the things that have occurred uh, the previous day for something to report. And certainly that would have stood out because it's a matter of public record. So it's not necessarily as if your father was looking for publicity. Right. And in a town as small as Parkersburg, um, you know, it, it, everybody back then, everybody knew everybody and everybody knew what everybody else was doing. Like the whole state of Rhode Island. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a little pause in our, in our conversation with uh, Tanya here because uh, someone has correctly answered our question. That doesn't happen every day. And this is uh, Scott from um, 617 Area Code. Did Scott say where uh, he's from? That's the Boston area. Yeah, well, it's Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Okay. All right. And uh, Steve correctly answered uh, with, uh, where Scott. our ghost uh, – I should say Scott. You're Steve. Steve's the producer. You can win, too. We'll give you a book. So – Scott correctly answered the question, which was Statesville, North Carolina, the location of this famous ghost train that shows up every August 27th. So congratulations, Steve. I should say Scott. And uh, one one interesting little tidbit of information on this was in the, this happened in 1891, terrible train wreck. And in 1991, on August 27th, a lot of people got together for the centennial 
of this event to try and hear the ghost train. And uh, unfortunately, a man, uh, one of the people who was waiting to hear this, was killed by a real train when it came around the bend unexpectedly. And so, in a way, uh, sort of a tragic uh, marking of, again, that, that terrible event in 1891. Uh, Scott, is Scott still on the line? No. Okay. Uh, Scott, we're going to ask you to call back and uh, give our... Oh, the phone number's here. Okay. Actually, no, we'll call you uh, later on, and we'll get uh, your address uh, as far as where to send the book. And uh, thank you very much for calling, and congratulations on your win, and I'll be sure to sign that book for you. Okay, so, Tanya, I have a quick question for you. You were a little girl while this happened, and all this press all this press information and all that, and people were paying attention to you. How, how did your friends react to this, or how did your classmates react to it? Well, I didn't have any classmates. I was only three at the Time. Oh, then never mind. <laughs> I told you to study your math. Sorry. Yeah, my my brother's classmates didn't didn't take it too well. My brother's class, my brother's, my brother got um, mocked, and then as I got older, um, of course, I was always asked about it, even after we moved to Cleveland, Ohio, because of course my my father went to different states and spoke at different, you know, was asked to speak at different places. So he had spoken in Cleveland several times, so, of course, people up there knew the name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now with, with Indrid Cold and, and this, this Carl visiting your home, did you, I, at the age of three, I suppose you don't have much of a memory of this, but did, did you see them? Oh, I have more of a memory than anybody would think. Um, yes, I did. And I can remember, I mean, because I was always the inquisitive type of child, I didn't I wasn't type to stay in the background. Um, while it, it frightened my brother, um, I was the type that, you know, I had to be out there in front to see what was going on, mm-hmm. you know, inquiring minds. Yes. want to know, especially a three-year-old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, yes, I do. And actually, um, Indra didn't have any qualms about um, meeting me. Um, my brother, on the other hand, kind of, I guess it, he always he always did. But um, Indra didn't have any qualms about meeting me. The only thing that Indra didn't want to do was frighten me. Mm-hmm. So instead of talking to me telepathically, because he was two years old, he really didn't think I would understand that, um, he actually spoke to me in a very low, hushed tone of voice. Okay. Did, did he talk to your mother telepathically? You know what? My mom and I never really discussed it a whole lot um once my parents got divorced shortly after all of this started mom really didn't want to discuss much it wasn't until mom passed away in 09 um that right before that that she would discuss any of it okay of course the the obvious question many listeners will ask is you know how do you know these were really aliens well i guess i don't except for the fact that i know that my father all his life never lied to me, and I don't believe that my father would ever lie to me. Mm-hmm. Well, what I've read about him, and there is a, there is an ironic local connection here, uh, strangely enough, to the uh, our little community of uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, where, where this this version of the show originates. And it's in a little magazine called Probe Magazine from September 1968. And the gentleman who has the uh, the uh, very popular talk show uh, on this station before we do was the publisher of this magazine, uh, our friend Joe Ferrier, who was well-known in the community here and in the Blackstone Valley in, in New England. And Joe was a very well-known UFO expert in the late 1960s. He, I believe he knew 
he, I think he knew your father in passing, if I'm not wrong, didn't know him very well, uh, has not met you, of course, but was very interested when we ventured to him that you were going to be our guest tonight. And he, um, uh, much of the information that, that we have about your dad came from uh, this article written by your father in Joe's Magazine. And it's, uh, the name of the article is, I Met a Man from Another World. And again, very rare magazine, uh, 1968. So that's how we uh, d- did get some of the background in order to ask you these uh, these questions. So um, let me ask you, too, This uh, did you communicate with the, this friend of... Of Indrid Colds, and again, uh, what you were, you were not frightened. You, do you remember your feelings at all? I know it's hard to remember after all those years, but so what I'm getting no, at is, I, as I say, people are still going to ask: if, Was this really an alien? And maybe your father thought he was, and he really wasn't. Uh, they, you know, they're obvious questions. So, uh, what say you? Right. Um, no, I was never frightened, and no, Carl really never never spoke to me. Okay. Um, he just kind of stood back in the background, but. I, I mean, I have it on good authority from known ufologist Earl Knapp, and you know that this really happened because he came down from Cleveland with uh, some of his UFO group. That's how we, and that's how my mother and my brother and I ended up in Cleveland. But um, that's, you know, I have it, and and John Keel also believed my father's story. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to get into too. I know Ben's got some more questions here, but just before before I turn it back over to Ben, the uh, the film, the Mothman prophecies, as I began to mention at the beginning of the show when we were connecting with you, uh, the O2 film uh, with Richard Gere and uh, Laura Linney, the character of Gordon Smallwood, played by Will Patton, was not my father. I'm sorry. Was not my father. Oh no! I say it was supposed to have been based on your father. I mean, as, as right. I understand. And uh, no, I mean right. I've read the book and I've read this, and it just shows no resemblance whatsoever to me. Right. Um, John Keel, when that movie was being made, called me. And well, let, let me just explain. Me. If I just, sorry to interrupt, just to explain for okay. people who don't know who John Keel is. John Keel was a New York journalist who, in the late 60s, was covering the story of not only Indrid Cole, but also the Mothman incidents, which we'll get into shortly, in the Parkersburg Point Pleasant area in the Ohio Valley. And uh, he was um, became a prominent uh, author on the subject after he covered it as a reporter. So uh, go, go ahead, Tanya, I'm sorry. Right, yes. When they were making the movie, Mr. Keel called me. I had been in touch with Mr. Keel previously, off and on. And Mr. Keel called me and to, to talk me that they were making this movie and that they were going to take a lot of artistic license with the movie and, you know, how they were writing this character of Gordon Smallwood in. But he said that when he spoke with the authors, you know, well, the screenwriters, what he thought should be my father was the um, gentleman, Mr. Leake. Oh, okay. Because... Mr. Because, you know, his character, of course, was being portrayed by Richard Gere. And Mr. Leake, in there, moved to a big city, which my father did, and talked about how it ruined his marriage, and he had started drinking and and different things. So the character of Mr. Leake was actually what my father was supposed to be based on, but since the injured cold stuff got mixed in there, it ended up people, people you know, Correlating uh, Gordon Smallwood with with my dad. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well that makes sense. Uh, ben. Um, okay, so during okay during the whole time in the same area, the famous Mothman sightings were taking place. Do you see any connection between Indrid Cold and Mothman? No, I don't. In fact, my father had never been to Point Pleasant. Um, I do know that in the recent documentary Eyes of the Mothman, um, the producer Matt Kolowski did put a uh, about a 20 to 30 minute piece in there about my dad and injured cold and my dad's sighting. Hmm. Well, let me, um, Ben's going to have the question here, but let me just interject that uh, I don't know how familiar you are with our show or, or with our work, but we operate on the premise in our own paranormal research, or as we like to call it, our cosmic journeying, uh, that we are dealing with a universe that is not just a universe. It is a, a an interactive dance, if you will, of multiple parallel worlds. And that when you have it, something like the, the Mothman incidents and all these different things seemingly unrelated occurring in a certain area, in this case the Ohio Valley, that you have a number of these worlds intersecting, okay? And this is based on quantum physics, or at least one interpretation of it. Uh, what say you to that? I mean, that it's uh, these seemingly unrelated incidents, um, in our opinion, would have been related, according to that theory, uh, in what's known as a paranormal flap with all these things, UFOs, ghosts, and all this. What, what do you say about that? Do you think that that's um, any sort of an impression you got, or was it strictly injured cold with you in your situation? I think it was strictly the you know injured cold with with us in our situation. Okay, and you had you had no a Mothman. Oh, Ben was going to ask this, but Mothman incidents, ghosts. Or, no. Uh, sorry, I'm always stepping on you. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah. So to continue my dad's question, my <laughs> question actually, um, men in black or other paranormal phenomena normally reported by people all over the Ohio Valley at the time. Yes. Because when we were there in '03, we talked to a lot of people who had had a number of incidents. I'm thinking of uh, our mutual friend Susan Shepard, who said that they heard footsteps on their roof, for example, at the time. She was just a little girl, as were you, and uh, red eyes at the window and this sort of thing, and uh, allowing for public uh, excitement over the, the, the press reports. Uh, nevertheless, she said these things really happened. So. But none of that ever happened to you, huh, as far as no, extraneous events? Me. Okay. Well, I guess no, you're lucky not, in a not way. That I can, right. No, not not that I can recall. Okay, all right. So, so let's uh, let's um, actually we're going to take a commercial break here right now, and we'll be right back with our uh, good uh, friend here, Tanya Durenberger, and we'll ask some basic questions about what might have been going on here in the incident of Indrid Cold in 1966. Stay with us. Hi, Joyce Berube here, member of the Woonsocket Elks. I want to tell you about the annual Children's Fishing Derby sponsored by the City of Woonsocket and the Woonsocket Lodge of Elks, which will be held on April 9th at Cass Park for children 12 years old and younger. The derby starts at 6 a.m. until 11 a.m. and awards will be handed out at 11.30. There will be prizes given away throughout the morning in order to include as many children as possible. We will also be giving away a boy's 20-inch bike and a girl's 20-inch bike. There will be a drug awareness table set up by Hank Payette, Woonsocket Elks drug awareness chairperson. We will be serving hot dogs, 
hot chocolate, soda, and coffee. So to all you parents out there, if your children are 12 years old and under, come on down to Cass Park and register them for the Derby and have some fun. You may register the children at Parks and Recreation on River Street or at Pete's Tackle on Burnside Avenue. Elks members may register their children at the Elks Lodge at 380 Social Street. We are praying for good weather, but the Derby is on rain or shine. So mark your calendar, April 9th, 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. Thank you, and we hope to see you there. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Okay, and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON, 1240 AM at ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And our guest this evening is Tanya Durenberger. She is... um, Certainly well known in the UFO community, especially uh, for her own work, and as the the daughter of Woodrow Durenberger, who was the the primary witness to the Indrid Cold alien incidents of 1966 in the Ohio Valley. Now, Tanya, uh, one of the most fascinating aspects of this story is that Indrid Cold reportedly told your father that the people on his planet were descendants of people from Earth. Have I got that right? Yes. Okay. As far as I know, that's an unusual twist for a UFO contact story from that far back. Um, can you comment on that? Have you ever learned any more about that? No, unfortunately, I, I haven't. I've I've only actually come into contact with Mr. Fold once since my father passed away in 1990. Oh, okay. Well, we'll want to find out about that. See, one of the things that... that we obviously try to be open-minded uh, skeptics, in, in a sense, on the show. But uh, one thing that kind of gives this story credence for me is that very unusual twist to this story. Uh, you might hear that today in science fiction. But way back in 66, as far as I'm aware, there was not too much talk of aliens being in any way related to us except as neighbors, you know, as far as I know. But, um, okay, so, so what, what, um, what was your contact with Indrid Cold, after, how old were you and, and what happened? Well, now if I told you that, I would ruin the book that I'm writing. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if you so can tell us anything, we'll say you have to buy the book. It was, let me, I'll, I will just, I'll give you a little sneak peek. Well, we'll give you a chance I to was, uh, promote the book, yeah. Yeah, I was 30 years old and, no, I was 29, I wasn't quite 30, and I was in the midst of a divorce. Um... Actually, I guess there were there were a couple of different contacts. Um, there was um, when my father passed away. I had a, a contact that night. I see. Um, okay. I was sitting on my mother's couch. Uh, my children and I were living with my mom in a mobile home, and there was a knock on the door. And um, I opened it, and there was this gentleman all dressed in black, and um, it's like, I, you know, I remember injured cold being, and he just looked at me, and he kind of walked away, and I didn't really know anything, though, until the next day. Oh, that's interesting, because one, one of the, the features of the Mothman incidents in the Valley during the whole flap was the men in black incidents that reported by many people, you know, coming to their doors, but you believe this was actually injured cold? Yes, it, it looked like what I remembered Indrid Cold to look like, just a little bit older. Okay. Um, I, Mr. Mr. Cold, what was explained to me at that time, I still call him Mr. Cold, um, it was explained to me, I asked my father one time, much many years later, when like when all that Men in Black stuff was coming out more, 
white, injured, wore black. And he told me it was to blend in with the men in black. Because oh, mostly what he wore was um, a white turtleneck T-shirt, sometimes a white dress shirt with a black tie, a black trench coat with black shiny pants that, you know, rock stars would have worn back in the 80s, and a black um, hat. Okay. Ben's okay. got the next question here. Okay, so, Tanya, do you really believe that Indrid Cold was what he said he was? Yeah, I mean, what, what are we really looking at here, cutting to the chase? Sure, why wouldn't I? I mean, he just he, he popped up in so many strange places, and I know, like I said, my mother, when she was um, ill, she told me, she said one thing that she, that stood out of, of everything was that she would take my brother and I shopping, and as soon as she pulled into the driveway, my father would come out of the house, and my father would be able to tell her everyone she talked to and everything she bought and everywhere she went, hmm. which she thought was a little strange. Oh, that's interesting. One of the reasons for the question is that we, um, in our work, and I've been working in the paranormal in general for almost going on 41 years now, not too much with UFOs, but sometimes the phenomena seem to overlap, is... In my opinion, in our opinion, I should say, nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. We always ask if things really are what they seem to be when we encounter any sort of uh, entity or phenomenon or whatever. And so we tend not to take things at face value, hence the idea, uh, do you think this could have been something other than what it appeared to be? That's, that was the reason for the question. Yeah, but um, it's, no, I mean, like I said, I mean, there were quite a few ufologists that, that believed my father and mm-hmm. thought and, and thought that it was what it appeared to be. I mean, Gray Barker, for one, and yep. like I said, um, Earl Neff from the Cleveland Ufology Project, and John Keel as well. Yeah. What you said, though, was just, just now was very interesting about your father knowing things he wouldn't usually know. Uh, was right. that a pattern with him? And did it happen with with your mother or you? So it, presumably, simply from contact with with Andrew Cold, his uh, if you want to say, for lack of a better term, his psychic abilities improved. Is that how you'd put it? Um, it happened with me as I was growing up. You know, my father would 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 call and say, "I understand you're worried about this or what's going on with that," which was you know, which kind of freaked me out as I got older. Um, uh, it, it, and it did happen quite often with my mother when she would go out to the store okay, or go out somewhere. All right. I don't know if you, if you have something else, Ben, because I was going to ask about... Um... Oh, no, go for it. Okay. One of the things, Tanya, that we are looking at, and, and we are relatively new to the UFO scene, you know, in within the paranormal, because our usual work is with the so-called ghost phenomena and stuff, is that the nature of it seems to have changed since... The 1940s, when it really got going in this country, you know, at that time, as you know, people were seeing what they called flying saucers. Uh, when there would be contacts, there would be reports of uh, similar incidents to what you've just you and, and we've just been talking about with your father. Uh, relatively humanoid-looking people um, coming up to someone, expressing uh, "We come in peace" kind of thing, and talking with them and learning about their world, uh, all the way up to 
uh, grays and abductions and more negative things happening. And now today, there seems to uh, be another morphing of the UFO phenomena into just plain lights that people are seeing. And it's, it, at least to us, sounds a lot like a lot of the uh, a lot of characteristics of the ghost phenomena that people sometimes report. Well, what's your interpretation of, uh, of how the UFO phenomenon seems to have changed since your father had this incident? Or has it changed? Are we just looking at it differently? I think it's changed and there's not as many contacts and I think that's because, you know, we have, we've, since all the Area 51 stuff, we've scared these people off. Um, besides that, you know, the, the, their, the technology has changed. I do know that, um, my father said that the people from Lanulus were we're far more technologically advanced than we were um, because, I mean, now you've got UFOs that look like stealth fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be stealth fighters, and who knows? Yeah, they could be stealth fighters, yeah. except for the fact that stealth fighters, to my knowledge, don't hover. Right. And I know one night um, here in West Virginia, back in, I think it was 2004, my daughter ran into the house. She went, Well, she's 21 now. And um, she ran in the house scared, and I said, what's wrong? She said, Mom, I think I just saw a UFO. I said, well, what did you see? And she told me what she saw, and I picked up the phone, and I called Susan Shepard. I said, if you get any reports from any of your people about this, please let me know. And apparently she didn't, but um, I told her, I said, I'm sure what you just saw was a UFO. I know I can be driving down the highway and look up in the air and see what I believe is a UFO. Um, I do know that my father, before he passed away, did tell me that um, Indrid Cold told him one time that I would always be watched. I would always be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a guardian angel sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And I know that some things have happened, um, some really strange things like... Um, you know, I'll get, there are a few people who kept in touch with my father over the years, and one gentleman in Massachusetts in particular, and for Christmas, I got a letter from him, and he said, I understand you're short on Christmas money for the boys, so here's $100. Now, I've never spoken with this guy. I don't know how he he knew that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it's little, little things like that. Yeah, all right. Okay, the... Um on, on our CBS edition last night, we did a whole show on the paranormal and the family. And we dealt with um, our own loss in our family recently, and because people are always asking us, how, you know, how, how they should deal with losses in their family, and the shoe was on the other foot. And we also dealt with issues whereby, uh, well, we had one, one email from a lady whose uh, son, as she found out, was involved in some really negative uh, cult. And then we had an email from a young boy who found out his parents were involved in some weird cult. What does he do? So th- this has all aspects to it. So the, the, the effect of paranormal events on a family are always of interest to us. So when it comes to your family, you mentioned that your mother and father eventually divorced, which unfortunately is a common thing today. Do you think that the, these incidents had an effect on your family that may have led to that? Oh, I know they did. Mom had just had, had enough of um, people with shotguns around the house and in the backyard. Yeah. Um, getting unlisted phone numbers and people getting them anyway, and 
So when um, Earl Ness came down from Cleveland, he brought a gentleman named Bob Lalonde with him, and well, I don't like to speak too much of Bob Lalonde. He ended up being the stepfather from you know where. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he, he basically talked my mother into going back to Cleveland with him, with my brother and I, and from there they got, you know, is, is when they got a divorce. But, yeah, I know that, in fact, my mother even told me she just, she just couldn't take the pressure of all the people around and, and everything anymore. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, and also on, on the, the issue of uh, a more family-oriented question, your own children... Have they demonstrated any particular, if, if, as I say, for lack of a better term, psychic abilities or any indication that they have invisible friends or visible friends in the sense of somebody like Ingrid Cold? Has there been any ongoing phenomena in your family of, of the kind that occurred in 1966? No. Okay. Well, you, I have a funny feeling you're no. lucky. I, yeah. I do know that I see a lot of shadow people. Okay. And I did speak with Rosemary Guiley about it. Um, at a psychic fair that Susan Shepard and some people put on. And Rosemary Guiley told me that it could possibly be because the outline would, uh, is of a tall guy in a fedora-type hat. And she told me that it, it could possibly be injured cold. And since he told my promise my father, he would always watch over me. Yeah. But that could very well be what, it, what those shadow people are. Well, one thing that, that, that a little, I don't know, I'm not going to say bothers me, but that I'm sure Ben will agree uh, the question arises. If these are descendants of ours on this planet, uh, where does he get all these powers to come and go? I suppose if, if they're using what we would call the multiverse to you know, come and go through various membranes of different worlds, I suppose that would explain it. But it just seems there seems to be a lot of uh, semi-supernatural powers on the part of somebody who's, uh, who looks and claims to be pretty human. What say you? I don't know. I honestly, I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, okay. Well, that, that's an honest it's, it's a tough question. It is, so. yeah, okay. Um, all right, Ben, do you have any um, any other thing that I'm missing here? Or? Well, you said you're working on a book. What, what are you writing it about exactly? About my experiences with this with this whole thing. Okay. Because I have revised my father's Visitors from Lanulus book. And I do have it for sale, too. Um, what I've done with it is I've basically taken the original manuscript and retyped the original manuscript and added. I found a clearinghouse in Sweden that had all kinds of eyewitness reports and police reports and medical reports on my father and all kinds of, I mean, they sent me over 100 pages of information. And I have added a lot of that into, into my dad's book. Okay. All right. When when will that appear? Um, well, this is Lanulus. The revised version is available now. Um, I'm still working on mine. I'm. I was hoping to have it done by now, but I wasn't planning on getting sick. Oh no! Of course not. Yeah. yeah. Or sicker. So um, I'm working on it now. Actually, as I as I sit in the hospital with nothing to do, so yeah, I'm okay. hoping. Well, we're glad yeah. you gave some time to us. Um, <laughs> no, we, we have further questions, but I, I also wanted to give you a chance to uh, uh, tell our listeners about uh, how they can help uh, the, the cause against multiple sclerosis. Um, they can just go on my Facebook under Tanya Derenberger okay. and find out. You know, 
All right. There's information on it on there. Okay, because we, yeah, we like to can, uh, promote charities as much as we can. Yeah, or they can go to nmss.org and and you know make make a donation there. Okay. All right. Um, and also, um, okay, well, I wanted to make sure we covered that before I, because I didn't want to run out of time before we, we uh, got to that, those are important matters. I did have another question for you, just as, a, as an observer of the UFO scene that, that you are. What, one, one time, well, I don't know, very often we've discussed the impression that there are so many different kinds of UFOs, so many different kinds of reported alien contacts. They seem to be almost tailor-made for individual people. Uh, there are, of course, similarities and, and uh, commonalities among many stories, but what, what, why, in your opinion, if you have an opinion on this, are there so many different kinds of alien contacts and UFO types of craft and so many different stories, so much information that sometimes conflicts? I mean, what, what, what's your opinion on that? I mean, who's, who's pulling whose leg here or... or is Indrid Cold right and other aliens right? I, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. That's, that's a tough one, too. It, it's hard to say. I don't know if people are trying to to mold their stories around what they think will pique the interest of, of the population or if they're, you know, I mean, I don't know. Okay. It's hard to tell. No, that's, that's honest enough. In your experience with Indrid Colden and your in, in your father's, as far as you know, were there any predictions made? And the reason I ask, of course, is because uh, 2012 looms darkly ahead, and if any, maybe nothing will happen, but there are other people who think other things are going to happen. Was there anything uh, by way of a prediction made uh, in any of the the, uh, the dialogue that occurred between your father and Indrid Colden that you know of? No. Okay, well, that might be just as, just as well. Okay, very good. Okay, Tanya, we're going to move on here, and, and we want to thank you so very much for being with us. Yes, in your thank situation. you. And we wish you the very, very best in your okay, hospital stay you. and in your health. Yes, we hope you yeah, feel I better. Yeah, I just want to get home. Of course, of yes. course. Well, we're with you. I've, I've, been uh, here for a week. I've been here for a week. I'm expected to be here the rest of the week, so I just oh. want to get home. I've been there, done that. I know it's nothing you want more than to get home. And the last place to get any sort of rest is in a hospital. I found that out. I know. I know when they're constantly coming in. And, I mean, I am black and blue from one end of my oh. arm to the other from IVs and blood work and everything else. Well, so. God bless you, kid. We're thinking yes. about you and praying for you. But thank you thank for being you. with us. And we'll talk to you again soon. This uh, We want to do this again. Okay, thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank Good you. luck with the book. Goodbye. Okay. okay. Thanks. All right. Goodbye. Tanya Durenberger, everyone. Tanya Durenberger Bowman, and you can check her uh, Facebook page, or just just look her up uh, in the uh, Google method, and that way you'll be able to find out uh, how uh, not only the amazing story she has to tell, but also how to help um, people who like herself who suffer from multiple sclerosis and uh, the, all the many causes that that she works for. Now we do have a couple of emails we want to get to before the end of the show here, and this one is from uh, Mel. S. in Brooklyn, New York, and Mel is talking about things moving. <laughs> Hit the mic by accident. <sighs> That's a close one. Okay. I have listened to many of your shows, and I always enjoy your stories of the multiverse and how things can move because of those energies. But then I moved into an apartment where that happened all the time, and I mean all the time. Nothing ever stays where I put it. I come home from work and put my keys down, then I turn around and they're gone. 
I put a bottle of juice in the fridge and it disappears for three or four days. I put a chair in the kitchen and when I come out of the shower, it's in the living room. Even the cat will be out on the balcony one minute and in the kitchen the next, right through closed doors. Nothing feels spooky or dangerous. It's just so annoying that it's driving me crazy and I'm thinking of moving so I can find a way out of my lease. Uh, yeah, well... Uh, yeah, well, I can't afford to to lose the deposit. Uh, what do you think is causing all of this? Well, Mel, I must say that uh, certainly does sound annoying, uh, but unfortunately uh, we do hear this from time to time. Much as we were discussing with Tanya Durenberger, uh, the area of the Blackstone, uh, not the Bla- thank heaven, not the Blackstone Valley, but the Ohio Valley, uh, in which her town is located and the whole place where the Mothman things occurred, seems to be a very active area for... Uh, well, the the intersection of many worlds, as we would call it, where these things uh, are in. Say, well, all right. Suppose suppose you have an intersection of one of these bubble worlds that quantum physics talks about. You come in, you put down your keys. A world boundary crosses, and in that world, that's not where you put your keys. You put them somewhere else, right? And it's not elves. It's not gremlins. Probably not poltergeists. You probably just live in a very active area that way. Now, we're, we are always looking at ways where this can be prevented. Uh, ben has developed, if I may say, a technique for what we should call moving portals, yeah. uh, which we're not prepared to talk entirely about right now, but we've been trying that in one particular case where uh, you can ex- exercise some control over the, in- the interlapping worlds, so to speak, th- that might be occurring in your area. I would look into this. Do you have a high water table where you live? Now, of course, you're in Brooklyn, so heaven only knows. But uh, have you? Uh, do you have neighbors who are having similar incidents? Now, the problem is you can't just walk up to your neighbor. Hey, do you have you know weird stuff going on and things moving around the house without being asked to? Things of that kind. But if you have a chance, find out about that and let us know. But I think you may just have the, the just by bad luck moved into an area there that uh, has a very active. Uh, electromagnetic fields and a very active, um, uh, almost flap kind of situation where worlds are intersecting. And I think it might be just as simple as that, if you can call that simple. So I would say keep an eye on it. Uh, I'm very glad to hear that you do not have any sense of danger or sense of presences or anything of this kind, and that you probably are just um, a victim of the wonders of quantum mechanics. That seems to be how the world uh, is is set up, like kind of like Swiss cheese. So keep us posted on that, Mel. And uh, I would just say you might want to look into moving because uh, you don't want to be annoyed like this for heaven knows how long. So I would say maybe look into that. But keep us posted, too, if it should change. Uh, this does not seem to be something that is following you from what you indicate, and that's a good sign as well. So I think you're just, as I say, a, a victim of uh, quantum mechanics here. All right, here's another one. This is Two Ghosts, and this is from Sherry Kay in Tennessee. Okay. So Sherry writes to us, My father died two years ago, and I have always followed your advice about being careful and skeptical when I have paranormal experiences. But things have really gotten strange lately. Every few nights I wake up and see my father, or what looks like my father, standing at the foot of my bed. It doesn't feel threatening, and I feel very positive about it. I poke my husband when this happens, but no matter what I do, he doesn't wake up. Funny thing is, he is usually a light sleeper. 
As positive as I feel about the appearance, and the more it seems to convey to me that it is my father, something in me is doubtful. Then, just after Christmas, my daughter and I went to stay at my sister's for a week to help her uh, with her kids because she has a broken leg. Uh, while I was asleep there, I woke up two nights in a row with someone standing at the foot of my bed, and I heard my name in my father's voice. But this one felt completely different from the one I was seeing in my own house. Before I left uh, to go home, my sister said she had seen the same thing. Uh, what do you you and Ben think uh, is going on here? That's very interesting. Yes. I have very seldom heard of that. I've heard of it before. Two ghosts, quote-unquote, of apparently the same person appearing in two different places but not seeming to be the same at all. Now, I hate to say it, uh, uh, Sherry, but this appears to be a classic textbook exercise by what we refer to as parasites, negative entities that push buttons and are non-human and try to uh, literally eat by uh, the energy the, the energy that you produce. So your gut is correct because Always you follow have, your gut. Yes, yeah. you have that, undoubt, that doubtful feeling, therefore you are right. Yeah. So. I would, yeah, absolutely. Pay attention to your feelings. Yes. And the very fact you've got two possible, because it's your sister's house, but two possible non-human parasitical entities pretending to be your father, this is this is very very common in the sense that they often do pretend to be a loved one. The voice, they will learn about you and they'll say things you'll think only your father would know. This is the real thing. This is the real stuff that we, we run into. And this is, this is what I was telling Tanya Durenberger during our interview, you just can't trust these things. I don't trust them, and nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. That's what really bothers me when people do these awful things that they shouldn't do, like seances and Ouija boards, and they believe what they're told. Big mistake. More trouble results from that than you can than you can imagine. So, uh, what would be your advice here, Ben, for uh, for Sherry? Just uh, don't listen to it. Yeah. Once you get its number, it'll. Completely change tactics and yep. stop being your father, quote unquote, and it'll just, it'll, well, everything will just change. The entire situation will change, and then just stay positive, and well, yeah, no, pray, I've had that happen. And, you know, pray, something, something comes across like yes. some relative, and I'll, I'll make it no, I don't believe you're this, and everything changes. Yes. Now, what you want to do is not necessarily have a change; you want it to end, right? Yeah. So, what you do, as as we said on our family show last night. Come together with your family, uh, pray, love each other, do all kinds of positive things. And I'm uh, funny, we, we saw a good friend, uh, Father Anthony Perkins today, and he was, uh, he was, he's been on our show before, and he, he'll say, say, he said something I'll never forget, and it's so apt. You know, when you're dealing with these cases, if you tell these people to stand in, in their yard naked, swing a chicken around their heads, you know, and that, that, they'll do it. But then if you tell them just to love each other and take care of each other, they don't get it. You know, so I mean, but the real answer is not the chicken; it's the love and the respect. Build that in your family, and you build a defense that nothing can, can penetrate. Yeah, we're not telling you to stand in your yard and sw- naked and swing a chicken no, around. By because, no means. Yes, no please means. do not do that. All right. So again, uh, Sherry, uh, keep us posted on this, and uh, you seem to have a very good uh, gut for this kind of thing, and I'd stick with it. All right, there we go. Okay. Uh, we have about five minutes. Got about five. Okay, let's uh, do a little paranormal news here from our good friend Lon Strickler of phantomsandmonsters.com. 
uh, Lund is, is an amazing source of, of information on the strange events that would fit uh, all the interests of our show, certainly. Here's one. This is a humanoid or cryptid encounter uh, of uh, a critter known as the Ohio, the Iowa Goat Man. Oh, I've heard this. Oh, you were you were saying isn't it funny that or was it you were the cryptid? No, that was put me. Man in, in back of you know. Yeah, insert man, frog in, man, insert man, animal. Man. Yeah, insert animal and then add man to the yeah. end of it. <laughs> so whether this is what it's I don't know. Uh, anyway, the following accounts are previous uh, humanoid cryptid encounter reports received by various agencies worldwide, and the line is reporting here. Now, this reportedly occurred uh, near Norway, Iowa, in mid-December of 2002. Okay, we're a little late reporting this. Sorry about that. The witness was on his way home late one night after work. He almost always walked the train tracks because they were a straight shot towards the house. Uh, these tracks ran past a cemetery which was alleged alleged to be haunted, an old settler cemetery. It's already dark uh, and has had been for many hours, and there was no moon that night. As the witness walked near the cemetery, he started hearing muffled footsteps behind him, but did not think much of it. Plenty of other people uh, walk home this way as well, so he kept going, and the footsteps got louder and louder. Around midway past the cemetery, about midway past the cemetery, he got nervous and the steps were getting closer. Uh, So he turned to look behind him. And according to the witness, he saw a, quote, goat man or, quote, the devil himself, unquote. He described this thing as a man who basically had goat hooves and horns along the lines of the mythical Pan, the god Pan, Romans. Uh, worshipped, and this uh, thing was heading straight for him. Repro- reportedly, all the snow around this creature was instantly melting as it walked through. The witness ran screaming, uh, quote, like a banshee, unquote. I always say like a banshee with a toothache. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he hears the clopping, he heard the clopping of the beast's footsteps behind him, speeding up and catching up with him as he ran. Uh, finally, he got past the graveyard and uh, saw the thing step right off at the edge of the cemetery. Uh, he continued to run, that's the witness that is, uh, stopping to look back, and the beast just vanished. Uh, one of his older co-workers confided with the witness that there was a tale about a goat man many years ago. It was supposedly a, a Polish immigrant who disappeared one night but returned as the creature several years later. Uh, there have been UFO and strange reports also around Actually, the same let me, time. Let me uh, inter- interject a little bit. Sure. There, there's another legend of some other cryptid called the Pope Lick Monster, and apparently mm. it's the same thing, and it also haunts railroad tracks. And mm. it's it's actually it like lures people to their dooms with its voice and pretends to be loved ones, and then people end up like looking for the pe- people that are like stuck on stuck on the tracks, quote unquote, and then. They just sort of get hit by trains, and they see this crazy goat thing before they get hit by the train. Or well, if they get hit by the train, how, do, how does anybody know they, what they saw? I don't know. It's just a legend. All right. No, that's a, well, again, you know, the, the, how much time do we have? We have two minutes. Okay. Two minutes. Okay. <laughs> I, know, I can't look at a clock. Right. A minute but, and 40. All right. But certainly we have a, a lot of strange things going on in this world. And, of course, you know, naturally the, the criticism arises. Well, you have one person reporting this. And, yeah, a person certainly can make things up and imagine things. But when other people report it, that's it. But, you know, decide for yourself. So, okay, we're, uh, we're just about ready for our closing here. We're just about out of time. And we had a pretty good show. We want to thank Tanya for being with us. 
So we want to thank our producer, uh, Steve Bianchi, our new producer, and we'll see you next Monday, April 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on ON 1240 AM, onworldwide.com. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.